seriously. I don't know what else to say, but we're, we're, I'm supposed to be thinking about this Advent sermon series, you know, and the names and all that. That's, that's all good, but man, what, what's really exciting is what's happening next door, you know what I'm saying? So, just so you got a great update already about the building. However, two things are really important for you to understand. We have been inviting you to add yourself to the dream team because if it takes 26 people to do it in this room, it's going to take 39 over there. The numbers are close. So uh, we, we, we want more of you to answer the, response, the call to come and be on the dream team. We just need it in order to be able to be warm and cozy and friendly and welcoming and come as you are. And it's okay to be just the way you are and come on in the building. And that's what we say to people when we greet them well and treat them with hospitality. So that's important. The other thing is some of you signed up and got a text message saying come work because the work crew, the move-in work crew is also the second big project. That's the one because it's going to be one o'clock next Sunday, whether we get it all done or not, you know? So we need you to reach back out. If you've got a text message that included a sign-up genius, go back in it. Some of the dates have changed and some of the things that we can't control have changed, but just do it or call. Don't call me because I'm going to have you go call somebody else. Call Tony or call Mary Jo maybe call Kathy. Uh, so we, we need, we're going to need some more help. In fact, today, after we finish the second service, we're having a work party. And already one person has said, I'll come back, who's here now. So if you want to come back at 1140 and help us work, what we're going to be doing is moving things around so as to be able to meet the needs of the inspection that's coming, I hope, tomorrow. Anyhow, all of that, I'm selling. Are you buying? Huh? <laughs> I'm selling, are you buying? I hope you are. Let me get straight here. All of this, like, this is going to be Rachel's room, and all, all that's going to be decorated. You ain't going to believe it over there. You're just not going to believe it. It's just phenomenal. Here's, here's how I want you to think about being in that building. So be cozy. Be hospitable. Be friendly. You just have a little more square feet to do it. But I want you to know something. The building has beauty. And it has extraordinarily high functionality. I just want you to know that's what's going on. The sound system over there. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> oh I'm going to book Humphreys McGee or Goose for a kind. And I'm telling you what, you can have that thing roaring at the front and you can have a conversation in the back of the room. It's unbelievable. And so this sound system is good. That thing over there is a Beamer Series 5. We're rocking. But it's about relationships with each other. That's what this is all about. So we're in this, back to the sermon series, and it's Advent, and we know that, and we got a Messiah coming. And man, here's what I want you to make sure you don't leave without realizing today. We need, we need a Messiah. I need a Messiah. I need rescue. I need reparation. I need transformation. I need to be made over again in a new person. I mean, we wouldn't spend four weeks on it if it wasn't important. What's the problem? Because it's taken four Sundays to sort of get it trotted out. And that's what we're doing. We're using the names that come from Isaiah, the prophet. Remember, a prophet's job, 800 years before Jesus, the prophet's job is to both challenge and comfort, looking through at the circumstances of our lives, through the eyes of God, and saying, this is how God sees it. And we should feel comforted. And we should feel corrected or challenged or encouraged to move on. So here we go. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And we found four ways to talk about names that show up helping us to understand who this Messiah, who we so much need, who he is. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. <clears throat> and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. That was week one. Mighty God. That was last week. Everlasting Father. That's today. 
Prince of Peace, December 31st. Next Sunday for Christmas Eve is a little bit of a one-off. We're going to talk about a name, but it's going to be not one in here. Everlasting Father. So let's talk about Father once. In, in Scripture, Father means protector. It means provider. It means wisdom. It means warmth. It means faithfulness. Uh, Father guides and directs and trains and corrects and builds up. That's what Father does. And we're saying that this baby, and now you're into the mystery of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. This baby is also the Father. Just let that be a kind of a hard thing to make sense of, but let it be what it is, because that's what the Bible is saying about who Jesus is, Father, Son, Spirit. So this Father is all of those things, and oh, do I need that? I think you need it too. Everlasting means forever. It means always has been, is, and always will be. So we have this this is the place that the almighty king of the universe plays in your life. It's a role that we get at using human analogy, father. That's who God is to us, and that's who the baby is to us. So this baby is going to do a lot of things when he grows up, but one of the things he's going to be is an everlasting wise guide, teacher, corrector, trainer, full of love and wisdom. And that's what I want, and that's what you want, and that's what I need. In, in Scripture, three different places in the New Testament, it, but, um, Jesus and Paul refer to God as Abba. And Abba is Aramaic, and it, can, it would be used in the, in, in the time of Isaiah and in the time of Jesus. It would be used as something like what you and I would mean if we, in a warm, kind of affectionate way, said dad or daddy or pops. But don't, don't over-familiarize. You, you're invited to think of God as that, but don't over-familiarize like, yo, dude, what's up? Don't do that because then what we've done is we've pushed the magnificence of the glory of the king of the universe out of it. So we're being invited to be intimate, vulnerable, drop all pretension, to enter into the presence of the almighty king with a feature of it that's like the way we relate to our moms or our dads when we can just jump up in their lap and let it all go and not worry about what anybody thinks. But we do all that somehow where the glory of the king of the universe is still in play. That's who an everlasting father is. And I need it, and you need it, and we need it. And the God who makes a promise to love us fulfills the promise in the birth of the Messiah. And we're week three counting down to get ready for it. It won't come as a surprise to you that the, the way I want to get into thinking further about what it means to be a father is going to come from Christmas movies. And so I thought I would make a little fun of myself showing you that, yes, I still take the low-tech trek of shame from my collection of DVDs to my Blu-ray Blu player. <laughs> Only at Christmas. Now, I know I can go online and rent them or buy them. Don't tell me that and have my own library. But fooey on you. I have them right here. So this is what my wife and I, this is what... So I'll just show you a little library of some of the studying I have done. This is A Christmas Carol. You've heard of a man named Charles Dickens, written in about 1843, I think. I read it every year, the actual little novella. 
Here's a 1938 version of it. No, that was 35. 38. It's going to work. It's a nice soft plastic case. Here is Alistair Sim, one of the good ones. He's goofy. This is 1951. You, yeah, now you're starting to resonate with me. Keep going, huh? Come on. Come on. Okay, who, what do you got here? We got, I don't know, Albert Finney. What year was that? 70, 1970. There you go. I, I, can, I have all these memorized. When you're watching with me, I'm obnoxious because I can tell you that that line is not in the novel. And it drive Kathy nuts. I mean, I know it that well. Okay, so here's George C. Scott. You all know who he is. He, he's really a really great Scrooge. He's fantastic. Am I back? Am I back? Yes. Sorry about that, online folks. Here's Patrick Stewart. I think this is the one where they sing. I don't like that one that much. Here's one. You, you were wondering if I would bring this one up. Bill Murray, Scrooge. Yes! Yes. Huh? Yeah, I realize you can get all this and just stream it. But... I don't care. And I got more. I got, but here's, here's the one that we're going to work with today. You're going to really like this one. Elf. elf. There he is. <laughs> Buddy the elf, Will Ferrell. Now, so what I'm going to do is just take you through a pictorial reminder of what happens and what this movie is about. You all know it already. So there it is. That's like the feature on the cover of the thing. So there's Buddy the elf. The next thing is this. It's Buddy the elf. When Santa visits the orphanage where Buddy the Elf is, okay, he somehow gets out of his crib and crawls over and gets in the bag because he sees a shiny toy. Santa doesn't know he's in there. Santa picks him up and takes him back to the North Pole, right? You remembering this with me? And then Santa's reporting all the elves are going, yay, it was a great Christmas. And out crawls Buddy. And they look and, no, 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 not yet. There. Buddy crawls out of the bag. Do you remember this? Just, just uh, yeah. Okay. Well, the next picture is Buddy isn't really an elf now, is he? He's sitting on Papa Elf played by Bob Newhart. So Bob Newhart is sitting there and there's Buddy the elf who's still at the North Pole and he's not real sure about his identity and he doesn't really have great hand skills, but to be a good elf and make uh, the, 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 the sketches as fast as he needs to, but look at his face. He's, he's here now. I'm inviting you as hard as it is to do to allow Will Ferrell to help you penetrate the deep spiritual truths of the universe. <laughs> because that, look at the look on his face. There's this desire. There's this need. And we're talking about human fathers here. But let the movie be also a way of us getting into the need that human beings have to be in deep connection intimate, vulnerable, non-pretentious connection to the king of universe father who is ours, to the, to the everlasting father. So there he is. And look at Bob Newhart. He's, he, both of his femurs are broken. But so, so the next, the next scene is, I forget which one it is, Matt, we can flick it. There we go. 
Oh, there he is. Buddy knows he's not a human. He knows he has to go find his father. He's been told that his mother, who is deceased, she had him and put him in the orphanage. And, and this man, James Conn, who is Walter Hobbs, doesn't know that Buddy exists. He doesn't know. And so Buddy shows up and introduces himself to him. And at, in fairness to Walter Hobbs, he's having a little trouble accepting the fact that this person is his... <laughs> And, and here, this little GIF with a movie to it shows you one of the kind of deal illustrations of why Walter's having a hard time dealing with his son, Buddy, who's not an elf. Let me get the star on top. I got it. So if you had a six foot four man jumping off your furniture onto the top of your Christmas tree to get the light up on it and go back down, you probably have a little trouble accepting him as being a part of your family too. I did not write down what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. The, the second, first or second time I ran the Boston Marathon, dad gum Will Ferrell. Uh-oh, what's going on here? Will Ferrell was at Heartbreak Hill in front of me. His wife had qualified. He didn't. He just paid his way in. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. I went by him. <laughs> so the last scene is a buddy at the doctor because they're doing a DNA test. So as you know, the movie ends with Walter Hobbs, buddy's father, gets over his pushing buddy away and, and affirms him and hugs him, and they put it back together again. So, so that's, that's it. That's all I'm doing with the elf. You know, it's just, it just I couldn't help myself. I hope you appreciate it. I love you which is why I did this. But what, what the movie helps us to begin to see is just speaking for a moment about earthly fathers. So this is not meant to be therapy, but many earthly fathers have disappointed and are disappointing. And you may be a person who had some substantial disappointment in your relationship with your father. And if that's the case, God bless you. Do what you have to do to sort of heal, to reconcile. Okay, and so when we talk about God, the everlasting Father, we need to say that many, many people don't have a good relationship with their Father. And I, let me summarize this way. If you have a good relationship with your Father, then, then listen carefully. How much more, we who can be good fathers, know how to love our children, how much more then does the everlasting Father love us? So let that be the way you handle that. Okay, if, you're, if you're a person where father really is net-net good. If you experience and are experiencing or have disappointment in your relationship with your earthly father, then do, do what you need to do to heal and reconcile. But also let me remind you of this. Your heavenly father, the everlasting father, never disappoints. So let, let yourself learn how to live being loved. And so Buddy is helping us to see that because Buddy is a person who's clear. He wants to be loved by his earthly father. And let us just allow that to be a way that we get into the presence of the king of the universe, the baby Jesus who is the everlasting father who's going to grow up and be a man and live and die and live again for us. Paul, Jesus uses a story. It's very well known. He tells a story in Luke chapter 15 about a father and a son. 
He told this story. We call the stories when Jesus tells them this way that we call them parables. And he tells us it's about a father who has a son. And the son wanders off. So allow that to be more than just geographical wandering. Allow that to be a sense of relational wandering. The son wanders off and he takes his trust fund with him, right? And he spends every penny of it in wild living. And he wakes up and he goes, I, I, I got to go back home. I, my father's place is way better than what I've done in my life. It's, it says he comes to his senses. And listen carefully. He's partied and partied and partied. And now he's broken. He starts back towards home. And look at what Luke says. This, this, is, this is in the middle of the parable. And this is a line that I want us to, care, to listen to carefully. While the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. Think about it. Every day, this man is standing on his porch or goes out even to the gate of his property and he's looking and he's longing and he can never fully go to rest because he wants to be restored with and restore his son and he simply doesn't quit looking and longing and aching to have it back together again and when he says when his son was far off a fantastic Greek adverb, makron. Far off. And here, see, see what we're saying. Jesus is saying this is a literal uh, geographical far away, but it's relational. Even more important than they're in another country is that it's, the relationship is distant. They, and this boy had been living in an ongoing far offness from his father. And his father sees him coming back and he runs to him. In the culture, in a Jewish culture like this, it's a shame and honor-based culture. A grown man would not run, simply wouldn't run. But this man doesn't care about that. He doesn't care if somebody wants to shame him or not. Off he goes. He runs to his son. Hugs him. Restoration, healing, restoration have begun. The father who's everlasting runs to us in the birth of the Messiah, in the coming into human existence, in the Trinity, taking the time to be itself in the person of Jesus for the period of Jesus' life. That, that's the father running to us with arms open. And here's the point of the parable. Jesus is saying to the people who are hearing him and to you and to me, Jesus is saying, I am like that father. That's what he's saying. That's how he loves us. Jesus loves you and Jesus loves me the way that father loved that son who was far off and had been relationally far apart, a, a big gap. In another place in the Bible, Paul uses the Greek preposition choris, apart from. 
apart from him. In other words, why does it take four Sundays in Advent? Why do we have to keep talking about it? It's because the problem is serious. So what, what we're being invited to do is realize how much we have a need to be not far off. And the only way we get put back together again is the work of the Father. We don't do it. It's the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus that makes it possible for apart from, for, our, for the far offness to be put back together again. And that's what Jesus is saying. I'm like the Father. This is the God, Jesus is saying, who created us to be connected to the Him. And then Jesus is saying this. He's saying, I am the God that you crave. And that's where you can let Buddy the Elf help you. Oh, did he so crave he wanted it bad. And he just quit. He didn't quit until he got there. So we want to take a next step. I want you to try to be a good Hebrew Jesus follower. And good Hebrew people are what, what good Hebrew, what the Bible teaches. The Bible, by the way, is 66 books. It's a unified story that leads us to Jesus. And we're in Isaiah, which is in the Old Old Testament. We're going to the Psalms, Old Testament. But we were in Luke, New Testament. And I mentioned something from Paul, New Testament. So the Bible is one story. It's unified and it leads us to Jesus. And what we can learn, one really concrete thing that you and I can learn today, it's a concrete thing that we can watch Hebrew people do it really well. And then we can learn to do it. What we're going to read, I'm going to read out loud for you. You're going to see it. Parts of Psalm 136. And what shows up on the wall, let me see the first slide if good. So you're going to see this refrain echoed over and over again. So I'm going to read it through for you. But what I want you to notice is this. It's couplets. Verse 1, we're going to give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And then our response is, his love endures forever. And we're going to say that over and over and over again. I want you to let yourself feel the first half of it, the top part of the couplet. And then we'll say, for his love endures forever in response to every single thing we can acknowledge about God. Okay, that's what the psalmist is doing. And it's a concrete exercise for you and me to know how to respond to an everlasting father who's run to us. And in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, we can be put back together again. So here we go. I'm just going to read it. I invite you to maybe even mouth it with, with me as you particularly say the refrain. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Nice. Give thanks to the God of God's. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords. His love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders. His love endures forever. Who by his understanding made the heavens. His love endures forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters. Who made the great lights. The sun to govern the day. The moon and stars to govern the night. He remembered us in our low estate. And freed us from our enemies. He gives food to every creature. Give thanks to the God of heaven. I want you to see it in Hebrew. You ready? So there it is. The top part is the Hebrew part. It reads right to left. 
and below is the best I could give you for a way to uh, say it out loud. So all of those couplets had a reason to be grateful, thankful, etc. We talked about the way God created the world, and we talked about being rescued. And then we moved back to just said, you're so awesome, God. You're awesome, and you're, you're love, you're his love endures forever. So here it is in Hebrew. It's really, it's really four words, but it looks like two. And so you'd pronounce it, reading right from left, but now left for right for the English part, la olam chasdo. And so a Hebrew person would not have a printed copy of the Bible in front of them. They'd be doing it like we just did it out loud. And one person would be reading and all the people would be gathered together and they'd be reciting and remembering their history and how God had worked. And then the response to all the great deeds of God, he created the heavens. And say it over and over again. So the people like you did would be reciting in Hebrew. And what happened to you while you were doing that? Maybe you began to say, oh, yeah. Oh, wait. Yeah. Wait a minute. Oh, yeah. His love endures forever. So here's, here's how I'm finishing this morning with you. Yeah, explicit challenge. And this is probably the sixth or seventh time that I've done this. And I think it's, it's repeatable. I have here my thankful for list. Okay? So give thanks to the Lord for Kathy. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for Jamie. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for Kristen. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for Reed. His love endures forever. For Marla. His love endures forever. I'm letting you in on my personal notes now, ain't I? And it goes on. Jesus shows up on number 13 on my list. <laughs> so my, this is, this, what I'm saying is a good son or daughter of the king of the universe understands that the way that we can live into what it is that God's best is for us is to get into the habit of being thankful. And then we recite over and over again, his love endures forever. We're, we're getting connected with God's provision to God, to, to who God is, God's character, God's being. My list goes on and on and on. And what I want you to do is I want you to, I have this in notes on my phone. Right? Though, though I do the low-tech trek of shame from my DVD to my Blu-ray player, I really am a fairly high-techy person. And so here it is. So I, I have at least one for every year, and I have 97 on my list. And it just, it just you sit down, and you start doing it, you go, wait a minute, oh, wait. And, but it's not just having a list. It's looking at it, but then reciting out loud or to yourself. And if when you say the words out loud, it slows me down. Right? I say the words. So I'll just jump in here. I'll jump in here. Um, the Apostle Paul, for his love endures forever. And right after that, it says here, good Dr. Luth, Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke and Acts. Then golf. <laughs> his love endures forever. Then Anthony Bellapina, the man who trains me. His love endures forever. Then Virginia Pignato, the woman that guided me for 10 years in therapy. His love endures forever. Vacations. His love endures forever. You'll like the next one. The Greek New Testament. <laughs> His love endures forever. I, I love the next one. First press staff team. His love endures forever. Then I don't know what I was thinking here. Friends, 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 friends. His love endures forever. 
But what, what happens is we start saying and remembering, and you have to use your hands and your mouth and your ears, otherwise you'll go too fast or you'll start scrolling through your Insta, right? You have to stop and do this. But you're just doing something that's been done for ages. Why? Because the steadfast, eternal love of the king of the universe is the most important thing, and you crave it. You want it bad. If you're wondering what's going on inside of you, if you're wondering why it's not all quite adding up, it's because you're craving to intimacy with the Almighty King. And one of the ways you can get closer to the King is to go through an exercise of remembering and being thankful. And you're just joining the Jesus people for two millennia. Because it's what we do. We say, you took action. I can see it. Thank you. Your love endures forever. Allow me to pray for us. Gracious God, we are in need. It just seems to be our condition. We default. We default to being Macron, far. But here you are inviting us. You're running to us. You're running straight for us. You're not mad at us. You don't care what we did. You just love us. So gracious God, we want to be your people. We want to run into your presence. And we want to crave you. And we want to respond by remembering. And we want to respond by thanking. And we want to respond by surrendering. Thank you, gracious God, that in this great season, that we get a long period of time, a month, to stop and think about who you are and what you've done and how much we need you and how grateful we are for all of the profound ways that you provide for us in our lives. We gather under the authority of, as allegiant subjects, we're under the authority of you, the king of the universe. Amen.